Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, if you're anything like me and anything like our uh, household, we are getting very excited about Christmas and uh, regularly now we're asking the question, what do you want for Christmas? I uh, love the story of a dad asking his little girl that very question, what do you want for Christmas? She asked for a little brother. And it just so happened that on Christmas Eve, mummy came home from hospital holding a a new baby son. The little girl was thrilled. Next year, when her dad asked her the same question, what do you want for Christmas? Remembering what had happened the previous year, the little girl replied, well, daddy, if it wouldn't be too uncomfortable for mummy, I'd like a pony. (laughs) Well, what about you? What do you want for Christmas? It's a question that conjures up so many happy memories for me. As a little boy, my my mum and dad would ask me that question. And from that moment on, I can remember getting unbelievably excited about Christmas, decorating the Christmas tree, the lights being switched on in the little town we lived in, visiting Santa's grotto, the feeling of overwhelming excitement on Christmas morning. Christmas was always so much fun for me. But as I go on as a vicar, Christmas, I realise, is just not like that for everyone. I wonder if you come across the, uh, the, the website christmassantaclaus.com. Worth a little look. There are all sorts of things on the site. Uh, one page is full of letters to Santa. I like this one. Dear Santa, I love you very much. Please use the front door as we do not have a chimney. Well, that's quite useful advice for Santa. And then there's this one. Dear Santa, thank you for the remote control car you gave me last year, even though it broke the day after. Still, I know you tried your best to get a good present, and that's what counts. Very magnanimous. Some of the letters are confessions. I'm very sorry for being mean to my little brother. I'm not saying I don't love him. He just really gets on my nerves sometimes. Well, we all kind of know that. And then there there are some letters that are, well, they're just a really big reality check, like this one. Dear Santa, Andrew is a boy in my class. Can you make him and his sister spend Christmas with his parents? He's just been taken into foster care. Or this one. Dear Santa, can you get my dad to come back to England because he lives in Australia and I haven't seen him for three years? And then this one that really got to me. Please send a message to my sister in heaven. You see, visit christmassantaclaus.com and it's obvious what some people want for Christmas. They, They want solutions to broken relationships and child abuse and death. But of course, no grown up really believes that writing to Father Christmas will solve our problems. Father Christmas can't possibly deliver a clear conscience a restored relationship, a wonderful world, and he certainly can't defeat death. But the good news of Christmas is what Father Christmas can't possibly deliver, Jesus can. And that's why Christmas really is, as the song says, the happiest time of year. Christmas is about the true and living God meeting our deepest needs and answering the biggest questions of life. Back in October as a church, we we asked our friends this question. If you could ask God one question and you knew it would be answered, what would it be? Christmas answers four of the biggest questions that were asked. Here they are. Uh, Question one, how do you know God exists? Two, uh, what's the meaning of life? Three, why is the world in such a mess? And four, how can I know God? Uh, strip away the tinsel and turkey, the parties and presents, Santa and sentimentality, and we can begin to see the real gift of Christmas, a gift that really makes sense of life, 
Now, don't you want that for Christmas? And not just for Christmas, but for the rest of life. You see, it's all here in the reading that we had uh, this evening, that last reading uh, that Tamsin read for us from John's Gospel. Uh, Question one, how do you know God exists? Here again, the words of John chapter one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Bertrand Russell, the atheist philosopher, was once asked what he would do if, when he died, he discovered that God was there after all. And he said, I would ask God why he hadn't given more evidence for his existence. See, for Bertrand Russell, he laid the blame at God's door. He said, it's not my fault that I don't believe. If God really is God, really that clever, really that big, really that awesome, why doesn't he reveal himself to me? Good point. But you see, that's exactly what he did do that first Christmas. Oh, oh, even before Christmas, there was plenty of evidence for the existence of God. But at that first Christmas time, God disclosed himself once and for all. God revealed himself in the most unmistakable way. That is the awesome claim about Jesus. He's not just a man. He's not even an exceptional man. He's not just a good man or a holy man or a prophet or a guru. He is God. Colonel James Irwin, one of the first men on the moon, said this. It is not the greatest miracle that man walked on the moon, but that God walked on the earth. That's the astonishing truth about Christmas. God, the creator of the universe, stepped into this world and onto this planet. You see, if you look at the life of Jesus, all that he did, all that he said, his amazing miracles, his kindness, his his ability to change lives. And you see unmistakably God walking around planet Earth. And that's how the Christian knows God exists. Christians don't believe in God as a a random possibility, but as an historical fact that that you can check out. And we sing it in the words of the carol. He came down to earth from heaven, he who is God and Lord of all. When we're tempted to say, why doesn't God reveal himself to us? John says, well, at Christmas time, he did. He did. What a gift. The certainty that God exists. And that he's intimately interested in his world. That life on planet Earth is not the result of a freak, freak cataclysmic explosion. That you are not just a blob of protoplasm wrapped around an appetite. Now let me ask you this Christmas. Have you ever unwrapped the gift? Have you looked at the person of Jesus Christ? Have you ever seriously considered his claims? And, and, and may I ask you, have you done that as an adult? You may have done it you know, at Sunday school, but... When did you make up your mind about Jesus when you were at school? About, when, when did you do that with anything else? The Christmas would be a, this Christmas would be a good time, wouldn't it, to begin to look into these things? Christmas answers the question, then, how do you know God exists? And it addresses the question, what's the meaning of life? Listen again to these words of John. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. I guess at every uh, office Christmas party, there's, there's one character who really livens things up a bit. Uh, someone we call the life and soul of the party. Someone you, you just have loving, uh, love having around. That's what Jesus, uh, John is saying about Jesus. In him was life. Jesus is the life and soul of the party. The life and soul of life. Now, that is a huge surprise for most people. 
Most people don't like, think like that about Jesus at all. They're like the person who said to me, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe Christianity is true, but I don't want to become a Christian until I've had some fun. Implication, Christianity is boring. Following Jesus is going to ruin life and take all the enjoyment out of life. That, of course, is what so many people think about Christianity. And frankly, I can understand why. Some church services are about as enthralling as watching the turkey cook. And the way some present the Christian life, it appears as dull as watching another Christmas rerun of The Sound of Music. But if that's how the Christian life seems to you, be sure that's not the way Jesus meant it to be. Later on in John's Gospel, we hear Jesus saying these words, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the max. Enjoy life as much as you can. Jesus came to give us the time of our life. In verse 1 of John's Gospel, John called Jesus the word, the, the logic of life. You see, Jesus is the central character of the universe. He is what life is all about. Cut him out, and life just doesn't seem to work. Uh, A new poll for the Radio Times has voted It's a Wonderful Life as the UK's favourite Christmas movie. You know, the classic 1946 Frank Capra film starring James Stewart. Just imagine watching the film with, with James Stewart digitally removed from the entire movie. Some scenes would still work, but most of the film wouldn't, wouldn't quite make sense. That's how it is living life without Jesus. Some of it still seems to work, but you can't really make sense of it all. Because Jesus is what life's all about. The universe revolves around him. And it is agony watching people rushing around trying to make sense of life, looking for the meaning of life in work and re- relationships and materialism and, and trying to make life work, but never looking to the main character having him sort of digitally removed from their lives. The one who John describes in verse 5 as the light of the world. Jesus is the one who sheds light on all the big questions of life. Do I matter? With him, you know you do. Why am I here? With him, you, you get an answer to that question. What is life all about? Is there right and wrong? Oh, yeah, he'll tell you what's right and what's wrong. What happens when I die? He gives you the answer to that. Understanding what life is about is wonderful. Jesus gives you that. The Christmas carol puts it like this. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What a gift. Knowing the meaning of life. Knowing what life is all about. Knowing where you fit in. Again, let me ask you, have you ever unwrapped that gift? And just before you ignore Jesus as being the meaning of life, let me ask you this. Do you have another any other satisfactory explanation to the meaning of life, one that really adds up. Would it be great to be able to make sense of life on planet Earth? Well, to do so, you're bound to ask our third question, why is the world in such a mess? John is very realistic as he writes these words, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, there is darkness in the world. We only have to turn on the news to see that or or visit christmassantaclaus.com relationships break down kids get abused people die and the root cause of all this darkness in the world well we live in god's world but we ignore the god who made the world and that happened when he came and walked on earth this is how john puts it he was in the world and and though the world was made through him the world didn't recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him 
That's why the world's dark. We've chosen to live without God, and that's why, that's why we're in the dark over all the big questions of life. That indeed is the darkness of the world. Just consider what we did to him when God did come to this world. We rejected him and, and, and hung him on a cross. But listen again to these words. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or not overcome it. We tried to put the light out by killing him on a cross, but here's the thing. Jesus rose from the dead. The darkness can't extinguish this light. This light is not a candle in the wind that can be snuffed out. This light, Jesus, the creator of the world, is the meaning of life. We can't get rid of him. We can't get rid of him by our actions, uh, by our unbelief. In these last months, uh, following my mum's death earlier in the year, my my brother and I have been clearing out my mum's house. And in the process, we've come across album after album of photos. It's been a a, a really cathartic thing to do, to look through uh, the photos together. One photo brought back a whole load of memories to me. It's a photo of my own son, Joshua, when he was just a toddler. He's now eight, uh, so I guess when he was, I don't know, a year and a half, something like that. And this photo has Joshua standing in the middle of the room, with his hands over his eyes. And it reminded me of Joshua playing peekaboo. Now, the rules of the game are normally quite simple. Somebody hides, and then someone else tries to find them, and on being found, everybody shouts, peekaboo. That's it. But Joshua's rules were a little bit different. To begin with, Joshua didn't hide. He just stood in the middle of the room with his hands over his eyes, and I'd say, where's Joshua? And he'd giggle. Where's Joshua? More laughter. I can't see Joshua. Where's Joshua gone? Uncontrollable whoops of, Joshua, of, of laughter from Joshua in the middle of the room. And it goes on until he could stand it no longer when he whips his hands away from his eyes. And I'd say, peekaboo, and he almost dies laughing. <laughs> it was very funny at the time. I know it's not now. And it worked because Joshua thought that when he closed his eyes, I couldn't see him. Because he couldn't see me, he thought I couldn't see him. It's silly, isn't it? But it works. It's great fun for a little boy. What is not so funny is how we try to do the same with God. We think that if we close our eyes to his existence, he'll go away. But but our beliefs cannot change reality. Believing that God is not there does not get rid of him if, in fact, he is there. And when he came to earth and we tried to get rid of him by executing him on a Roman cross, be sure that didn't get rid of him either because he rose from the dead. In fact, rather than that get rid of him, it compounded our problem. You see, once we've taken off all the wrapping off Christmas, the message of Christmas is bold and clear. God does exist. He came to us and we rejected him. And that is a huge problem for us because it really is very wicked to reject the light of the world. And it disqualifies me from being part of God's family. And one day I'm going to meet him. And if I'm not part of God's family, I'll have no part in his inheritance when I die. That means I will have no part in his heaven. And that's why this dark world is in the mess it's in, because we reject the God who made the world. See, we're part of the darkness, and that's why we have to ask our final question, how can I know God? Well, listen to this great news as we come to a close. Yes, we reject God, yet, listen to this, yet to all who receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. 
It is remarkable. We've rejected God. We've rebelled against him. And yet he, he gives us a way back. You see, there are two ways to end a rebellion. One, you can overthrow the rebels. Two, you can change the rebels. And astonishingly, the God of all creation, his plan at Christmas is to change rebels. And God does that by overcoming our natural resistance to him. God does something to bring us back into relationship with him. And I reckon as I've been speaking here, some of you will have been experiencing that very thing happening right now. It will be as if this has been just for you. You will know that God is calling you to be in relationship with him. It's almost as if there's no one else in the room and, uh, and I've been speaking to you as if God was speaking right into your life. Well, look, he wants, verse 12, for you to be a child of God. Born, as it says here, not of natural descent, nor born of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, Christmas is not just about one birth. It is about the birth of Jesus. But it's about another birth too, a second birth for us. A chance for us to have a fresh start with God. And he can give us that gift because Jesus died on a cross to restore our relationship with the Father. Because when he died on the cross, he was taking the punishment for our rebellion. We deserve uh, separation and death. But Jesus took the punishment. He loves you that much. So we can be welcomed back into the family of God. So we can hear these words. To all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's echoed in the great words of the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We'll sing it in just a moment. It goes like this. Do you remember the line? Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. So here's the big question. Have you received Jesus? Have you uh, taken the gift? The gift that reconciles you to God? The gift that gives you forgiveness for all the past mistakes? The gift that guarantees eternity with him when you die? And the gift that gives you an understanding of what life is really all about now. And that gift, like any gift at Christmas, is free to you and me. What a gift. And I reckon uh, this Christmas would be a great time to take the gift if you've never taken it. And uh, I've got a little booklet that I'm uh, going to be happy to give to you uh, as you leave uh, the church uh, this evening. Uh, thanks very much for coming. Uh, I'll be standing on the door over there. Joe, who uh, uh, opened the service and who will close it, will stand on the door over there. We'll have copies of this booklet. And if you're thinking, yeah, I, I really want to look into this, I just say I'd like one of those. Just take one from me. No, no questions asked. And uh, I think this will begin to help you to think about opening that gift for yourself.